Good morning, family. Glad you are here on this uh, this first Sunday after the Sunday after the Monday of, of Christmas. We are still in Christmas season. You all know that, right? Yeah, uh, I think sometimes we kind of get to Christmas Day and we open all the packages and, and then you pack up the Christmas tree and it's over and we think we're done. But actually for the church, there's that 12 days from which we get the song, on the first day of Christmas, Mike. I'll stop right there, right? <laughs> How many of you sang that this year? Anybody get through all 12 verses? Oh, a few of you. Wow, that's good. It's it's kind of a long song. But it talks about the fact that Christmas is a season, not a day for the church. And so uh, I'm going to continue on with kind of our uh, series we did for Advent uh, for the next two Sundays because there's a couple of important stories uh, that that we don't often talk about, and they have a really powerful message. Uh, And so I want to get to those in a little bit. We're going to kind of talk about the Magi and the trip to Egypt and all that. But before we do that... um, Let's uh, do our memory verse together. Let's say this together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, 9, and 10. So here's my question this morning, uh, and it's this. Uh, Whoops, we went too far. What do you really know about the Magi? I mean, what do you, what do you really know uh, uh, about them? I mean, there's this warm story about these people who come and they give gifts and they're usually dressed up in, in fancy clothes and we kind of we like all of that. But we don't really know a whole lot. Most people don't know a whole lot uh, uh, about them. I mean, this is like they're with the presence of Jesus, the baby Jesus. Did anybody do a background check on them? I mean, we require a background check around here if you want to work with children. And, and so um, I kind of want to take a, a, a look at them. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 1 through 23. And I'm going to tell you uh, a part of the story just to kind of uh, get us going here uh, so we can move through it. Um, so you know the story, the birth of Christ and, and the shepherds and, and that piece of it. And, uh, and, and then eventually we get to the magi that, that, that show up, uh, people from the east that come to Jerusalem. Uh, and they begin asking a question, and, and this is the question they ask. Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star uh, when it rose and have come to worship him. Say, worship him. Because that's important. That's, that's why they have come uh, in that. Now, there's already a king in, in Jerusalem and in the area, and his name is Herod, uh, and he's a little older, and he's very paranoid, and he freaks out when he hears this, right? What do you mean there's a new king that, that's come uh, into this place? And, and so uh, he does, you know, the, the religious thing. He calls a conference of all the religious leaders and gathers them in uh, and says to them, where is this Messiah? Where is this king supposed to be born? And they, of course, go out and do a bunch of research into old manuscripts and and do their thing. And then they come back finally and they say, Bethlehem. Okay, one word, the whole thing, Bethlehem. Um, And so he calls the Magi in, uh, some of his wise men, uh, and and he tells them, hey, according to all our prophecy, uh, he should be born in Bethlehem. Uh, And he says, oh, by the way, when you find him, tell me where he's at so I can come and worship 
him. Now, most of you know the end of the story. He has no intention of ever worshiping with him. Uh, so they, they get out and they go uh, looking for the Magi in Bethlehem. They head that way. They see the star uh, and they move that direction. And so we're going to pick up the story right there. Uh, verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Again, the purpose of this whole thing is to worship the child. When they opened, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, okay? So let's give you a little context for what's going on right here. Uh, there, we often talk about three wise men, right? But we don't really know how many wise men there were. We know that there were three gifts, and so people kind of land on that. Uh, but, but there's probably actually more than that. The Eastern Church uh, always thought that there were 12 wise men. Uh, but there may have even been more than that, because to travel a great distance with a few people was dangerous. And so they probably had a group of wise men. There's some people that think they may have even had some soldiers with them, all of that. So there's this kind of this big party. And they're, they're coming from Babylon. Anyone remember the significance of Babylon in the Old Testament? Yeah, it's where Israel got sent into exile, right? And where they came in and all, all of that sort of... So when you said Babylon to a first century Jew, they were like, whoa, you know, because that's just kind of a scary sort of thing for them. No, no love for that uh, at all. Uh, and here's the thing uh, you need to know that's going to kind of mess with this story. I'm going to mess with your understanding of the wise men, okay? <laughs> no one's giving me permission, but I have the microphone so tough. <laughs> The wise men, in all probability, the magi, were probably astrologers, sorcerers, and magicians. Ah, that changes your perspective, doesn't it, right? You know? And they were kind of what eventually leads to scientists, but, but at the time, there was a lot of kind of magical, you know, and stars and all of that sort of thing. things that today would make us very, very un uncomfortable. And, and if you were a Jew, you would probably look at them and say, number one, they're from Babylon, and number two, they're doing a whole bunch of things that are sinful, right? And so for them, this idea of these people coming in to worship Jesus is kind of a, you know, screech on a, on a record. Wait, I dated myself. A whole bunch of you don't even and hardly know what a record is, right? It's kind of a, it's a, you know, it, it would have been like, ah, to them, it would have said, here, nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, I got that one, you know? Um, and so, um, so when we read this, the kind of this warm sort of thing, there's kind of this underlying story that goes, this isn't entirely this warm, wonderful kind of piece of it. And so here's the deal. God chose Gentile sorcerers that practice dark arts to worship Jesus. Yeah, amen is right, but that's a little bit uncomfortable for us, right? Uh, and, and to recognize it before many of the Jews did. So here, just let me put it this way. So um, let's back up one. Foreigners who practiced strange religions were second only to the shepherds in worshiping Jesus. Think about that for a second, you know? So one of the things I've taught you is when you read Scripture, one of the questions you need to ask is, why is this here? Why did this get included in other things? Why is there this story about wise men and then eventually Egypt? It, it must have some theological importance. It must be important to our growth and to our understanding uh, of God. And so we have this story that is in some ways uncomfortable. That, that the, the regular people, they were behind these, these guys that were sorcerers and were, you know, not good and sinful and, and Babylonians and all of, all of that. And, and the deal is, not only did they come to worship him, they were the first to recognize him as king, okay? 
because they brought the gifts that you would bring to a king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, extremely expensive. The things you would offer only to somebody uh, of, of royalty in all of this. So, here's the question. Why such an important place in the story for these sinners? What, what's the, what's the, the, why is we have this in, in there? And the answer, I think, is this. God accepts all who come, come, came to him, past tense, come to him. God accepts all that came to him, amen? amen. So let's change it. God accepts all who come to him, amen? Okay, he, God didn't seem to be concerned about the fact that they didn't live up to the standard, that they were unrepentant, that they were doing all kinds of stuff. They had come to worship God, and, and he's welcomed in, in this story. It's an important part of it. He didn't reject their, their worship, and, and he could have. I mean, poor old Joseph, he was having dreams all the time. You're going to see that in the rest of this story. They could have, but God could have sent a dream to say, hey, don't let those wise men hang out. Get rid of them because they're no good. You know, you don't want, want them hanging around here. But he didn't. It actually is such a big deal that they put it in Scripture to teach us about this idea. And and so here's kind of how it's laid out. The shepherds were were Jews, uh, and they were the first to know, right? But they were like the bottom of society. They were nobodies. They were poor and unimportant and almost disposable in some ways. And God chose the least to speak to first. And then the second ones are these people that are from a foreign country and a sorcery and all, all of that, that sort of thing. And so there's this wonderful thing that's going on that gets laid out here that then comes when we get to the disciples where Jesus is gathering all the people that everybody else thinks isn't worthy of relationship with God. Aren't you, we should all say amen to that, right? Okay, Because I know about some of you and you're not worthy either. Okay, none of us are worthy, Amen. We all get there by, by, by grace in, in Christ Jesus. So think about the disciples, okay? The disciples included thieves and traitors. That's what tax collectors were. They were thieves. They took more than, than they should, and they were considered traitors to their, to their country. They, he, he welcomed people with sexual sins. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Or bitterness and depression and sexual sins. Remember the woman at the well? Or broken people, remember the woman who was an issue of blood? Or rejected people like lepers or women. Did you notice how many of those were women? Right? And in our society, you go, yeah, so what? But in their society, that was a big deal. He was hanging out with the wrong people. The ones he pushed back on are the ones that thought they were better than all of those folks. The ones that would reject people and say, hey, whoa, whoa, you can't come in here. We don't want your kind around here. Anybody uses the word your kind, run just run. That's just not a, a good thing. Uh, and he was always eating with tax collectors and, and all of those por- sort of things. And so um, he, he constantly uh, accepts people, all who came to him. Okay. So I believe that worship of God, uh, don't, the worshipers of God don't always look like what we think they should. Can't read today. Worshipers of God don't always look like what we think uh, they, they should. Astrologers, musicians, thieves, traitors, people with issues in their lives. And can I be honest? I wish that that had ended in the first century with the teaching of Jesus. But that has come down to churches all the time. Just this morning, one of you shared with me about someone in their life that won't go to church because they got burned. You know, they weren't. And, and I remember this. It, it changes its different issues. When, when I were, was growing up, it was all about divorced people. 
If you got divorced, then you were clearly a sinner and there was no redemption for you. And clergy, if they got divorced, even if it wasn't their fault, they were, their credentials were taken, their livelihood, all of that, that sort of thing. And, and it goes on to another thing. One of the big ones right now, just because this one impacts me personally, is this idea of false teachers. If you listen to the media out there, there are tons of pastors that are talking about false teachers. And if you listen to them, what it comes down to is people they disagree with. They're false teachers. That's it. You're out. They're no, no part of that. It was just codes for person they, they don't like. A hundred years ago, it was people of color. You know, we have a denomination in the United States that was built and created for the purpose of not having to give up slaves. Man, talk about a bad foundation. And they're struggling right now. They're still trying to decide who's in and who's out and who can be a part of them and who can't be a part of them. So let me just say this. I'm going to start to get myself in trouble. This is what my daddy used to say is when you go from preaching to meddling. And I'm about to meddle. You all okay? Again, it doesn't matter. I got the microphone, so... (laughs) There's a great danger when humans try to purify the church. Purity of the church belongs to the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is such a big deal that Jesus told a parable about it. And I've noticed that people who like to call everybody else false teachers don't teach on this particular parable. But over in Matthew 13, there's a parable of the wheat and the tares. You all heard of that one at some point in your life? Yeah, the the, the story basically goes like this. A man goes out and plants his field and feels really good about that. But that night, an enemy of his comes and and puts tares inside, begins to spread tares all all over the place. And tares were like like wheat. Uh, And so as they begin to grow, it begins to become obvious that that there's two different things in there. And when they're they're young, you can't tell the difference, hardly at all. But by the time they get old, uh, they look like the same thing. You can tell. When when you get older, they look different. You can begin to tell the difference of them. And so his servants see this. And they go to the master and say, an enemy has done this to us. Our, Our field has got all these weeds, these tears all through the whole thing. Should we go out and pull all those up? And the master says, no. And the reason we know now for that is that those, both those plants, they, go, they grow and spread through the, uh, through the roots, right? You know, so like they're all tangled up. And so if you pull up one, it messes with the, with the other one. And he says, don't do that. And then here's, here's his answer, verse 29. He says, no, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles and be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And so the the issue there was, don't worry about the fact that there are people that don't seem to be worthy to you. Don't worry about that the person next to you doesn't seem to have it as together as you have it. That, that, That trust God in all of this. This is one of the main things I think in legalism in general is they don't trust the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And we want to trust the Holy Spirit. Amen. But you know what? Trusting the Holy Spirit's hard. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit doesn't always do it the way you think the Holy Spirit should do it. And so he said, this purifying the church is a hard thing. So here, I'm going to get meddle a little more, okay? When we reject those who come to worship Jesus, we risk rejecting what God has for us and for them. 
I mean, how different would this story be if, if Joseph had said, whoa, 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 you guys are from Babylon, and you do all that creepy, weird stuff. You guys all get out of there, right? And that would have changed everything for them. And in fact, the difficulty is, uh, and you know the rest of the story, the next part of the story is that they go, they go to Egypt. And just to give you an idea and a foreview, for, let's see ahead on that, it's about 400 miles to Egypt, right? Joseph is a carpenter. It takes a month. How long do you think a peasant survives a month without earning a living? But they had just won the lottery. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What do you think it might be that the Lord provided them the resources for what was ahead? And if he had rejected them, this would be a much different story because God was working through these people that didn't fit in order to provide for them what God was going to do for them in the next stage of the story. And so there's this powerful sort of thing that, that happens in the, in the life of the church when we reject people like that. I think sometimes we actually miss God's will for us. Amen? So let me say this. There is always room at Jesus' table for people we don't think deserve to be there. Amen. There's always room for them. It's all, all a part of it. I, in fact, I think... Um, uh, Okay, I'm going to reveal the fact that I've watched too many cowboy movies when I was growing up. But are you familiar with this expression, uh, shoot first and ask questions later? Oh, good. You guys watch those movies too. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think the motto of the church should be love first and let God sort them out. Man, let, let, that, that's the story of, the, of the, uh, the parable we just looked at. So verse 12, when they had gone and ate, oops, 13, did I get Miss 12? Oh, okay, maybe 13. Well, there we are. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. So the Lord warns them, and they go around in another way. So the Holy Spirit's working in a big way. Verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This poor dude is getting angels of the Lord all the time. I mean, he's probably covering, hey, how you doing, man? How's your family? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, Get up, he said, the angel said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for for the child to kill him. Okay? Uh, So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. This is wonderful. During the night, he left for Egypt. Guys, they got a kid that's one, two years old, and he is going to wake Mary up and tell her, pack up everything, we're going right now to Egypt. How do you think that went? (laughs) Yeah, not good. And so it's interesting to me because I love Joseph. Because Joseph is this character that we don't get a whole lot of his personality. We don't get, you know, he doesn't do big kind of miracles and all of that. What Joseph does is he obeys over and over and over again. What a man. We need more Josephs in, in our world. And I want to say to some of you guys, especially some of you that you're kind of introverted and you don't like the whole thing, you'd hate to be up here doing this, and you're kind of and you're thinking, well, I don't know. Can I tell you, there's a whole bunch of you, you are Josephs. You're just following God, doing what he says, living the way it's supposed to be. It's no big deal, you know. Nobody goes, oh, hey, look at this guy or that thing. But you are a Joseph. Say, I'm a Joseph. Yeah, 
Be a, be, be a Joseph. Be like Joseph, okay? And so he wakes her up. In the middle of the night, they pack up uh, and, and they move. Uh, they, they go, like I said, it's going to be 400 miles. It's going to be a month on, on the road. And I just imagine that Mary's saying, who's the crazy one now, right? When they get up and they, they go. So Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were refugees, and I, and I put this up here in part because I'm a little frustrated, to be honest. I am tired of politicians telling me what the Bible says and what we're supposed to believe. Some of you are going, what are you talking about? There's kind of this thing going on where it, at, uh, at Christmas, uh, someone came on and a, a priest was sharing the story and mentioned that Jesus and them were refugees. And a bunch of politicians came on and said, they weren't refugees. I'm telling you, they were running for their life and they went to a foreign country. That is the definition of refugee, amen? And that's an important thing. We can't just gloss over that or pull that out of Scripture because it teaches us how we are supposed to be compassionate to those who are in trouble, amen? It's the heart of what we are about. We care about refugees because our Lord was a refugee, amen? We care about people that struggle. We care about poor people because of the shepherds. We care about people that are in all kinds of different religious stuff because, because the Magi showed up. We care about refugees because Jesus was a refugee. You see why this is an important story? This is so important to our, our faith and our formation. In, in fact, um, it was one of Jesus' own people who was trying to kill him. Herod was a Jew, half-Jew. But it was a Gentile sorcerers who provided for the family and a foreign country that took them in. Let that sink in for a minute. Okay? It was one of Jesus' own people who was trying to kill him, Herod. But it was a Gentile sorcerers who provided for the family and a foreign country that took him in. There's a lesson in there somewhere for us. Okay? So, let's talk a little bit now about exile. Sometimes God sends us into exile for our own good. You know what exile is? Exile is when you're in that place where you're going, why God? When are you going to get me out of this? What is the lesson I need to learn in all of this? Sometimes, you know what? There's not a lesson. Sometimes there's, there's it's not, nothing going on like that. Sometimes God just has you there for your own good. I mean, as hard as it was for Joseph and Mary, they're in a foreign country. They don't speak the language. Joseph has to figure out how to get work and all of that. There, there were Jewish enclaves in a lot of places, so there was some connection there. But they were far from their family in an unfamiliar place, uh, probably discriminated against, maybe called names, all of those sorts of things. And you can just see Joseph and Mary going, what in the world is happening to us? We have followed Jesus. We followed God. Jesus, they didn't follow. He was a baby. Uh, we have followed God. Every time you dream, we do what you want us to do, and life just keeps getting worse. You know, we had to get, go through the whole thing back home, being humiliated with the pregnancy and all of that. We got to Bethlehem. You know, we had the baby and with cows and sheep around and all of that. It's awful. You know, we finally kind of get our feet under us a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you send us to Egypt. What are you doing? Anyone want to say amen here? Yeah, you keep thinking it's going to get better and it gets worse. That's exile. That's, that's the place where it's just hard. And, and I want to say to you, if you are in a difficult place, consider the possibility that God is protecting you from something worse. Maybe God has an agenda in all of that. 
Maybe he's allowing you to go into Egypt because what's in Bethlehem is not where you want to be. This has been one of the harder lessons for me to learn in life is to understand that following Jesus doesn't mean I go from victory to victory to victory and from health and and wealth and all of the good things in life, that sometimes following Jesus means going to Egypt. Sometimes it means packing up in the middle of the night and making a big move. So here's what I know about this. God works in ways we don't understand and uses people we would not choose. I'm meddling at this point. God works in ways we don't understand and uses people we would not choose. Magi were Gentiles. They were all the wrong people. You know, it shouldn't be like that. Egypt was terrifying. You know, Mary maybe had never left Nazareth, and then he moves her to Bethlehem right in the middle of nine months pregnant, and now he's moving her to Egypt and all of this, And, and they're teenagers probably. Can you imagine what it was like? Talk about things we don't understand and using people we would not choose. No good Jewish man would choose people from Babylon that were sorcerers and Egypt. And yet, God did the most amazing sort of thing, something that was so important that he put it in Scripture so we would have it forever in all of that. Thanks be to God. So I'm just saying to you, if you're in Egypt right now, God may be doing things that you don't understand. You, you, don't, you don't get what he's doing. And he may be using people to grow you into his, his image that, that you would not choose. But I'm here to tell you, God is at work in your life. Amen. Okay, good. So continue the story here. Uh, where he stayed until the death of Herod, where Egypt, uh, and also was, uh, and so that was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, I just want to say something here. This kind of looks like uh, God looked down and said, ooh, there's this prophecy down here about this thing. We better go ahead and wipe out all the children in order to fulfill that prophecy. That is not what happened. What happened was the prophet looked down through time and saw the heart of Pharaoh and what Pharaoh would do and told us ahead of time. But God did not kill those children in order to fulfill what a prophet had said 500 years earlier. Does that make sense to you? So sometimes you have to remember that how, how Scripture works like that, okay? God does not kill children just because some prophet said something in there. That's not the way it worked. A terribly wicked king named Herod uh, killed those children, okay? Um, and then goes on, 17, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were no more. Lord, have mercy on our souls. Amen? Okay. Now, I want to draw a couple more things real quickly out of this. Time is getting away from us. Number one, sometimes bad things happen to good people. Yeah, I don't want to say amen to that, but that is true. I don't know why that is. I, I wish I had an explanation for that. I... I, I t- it's just so hard on my heart because this year I've lost a number of people I really love and people who were kingdom, made a difference in, in the kingdom and people who were stars. And, and you remember a few years ago, I had cancer and I kind of look around and I go, well, I'm a journeyman pastor, but I'm not a star. 
Probably should have taken me instead of, and yet God does stuff like that. I I don't understand. I I, I know, we we live in a fallen world, amen? And and I I get that. And, And I understand that bad people also have free will, which sometimes I wonder about, but I get that. You know, but it, it's just it's just hard in in all of all of that, and so I just want to acknowledge that up front, okay? Uh, and then, if Jesus was sent into exile, we too will go there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah another not so great thing. Yay, we get to go into exile. But I'm just kind of preparing you. I'm telling you, it's going to happen in your life. If it hasn't yet, then you must be about three years old, you know, because it just, it happens. We get sent, we get into those times in life where it's hard uh, and, and it's difficult. And honestly, the last half of this year has been like that since Jerry was diagnosed with cancer and that process and death. And I had several other major deaths in my life of people who were mentors. It's just been a hard six months for me. Uh, and I'm really hoping 2024 is better. Amen? Okay. Uh, and then um, here's what some in- encouraging. God doesn't lose track of you in Egypt. Do you know that God has never lost his keys? Right? Isn't that good news, you know? How many of you have lost your keys at some point? <laughs> How many of you have thought about putting an Apple tracker chip on your key? I have. It's like awful with all of that. God doesn't lose stuff like that. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't do that. He knows where you're at. He knows what's going on. He hasn't lost track of you. His eyes are still on you. Look to your neighbor and say, God's eyes are still on you. And then... Exile doesn't last forever, okay? Eventually, Herod died, and and they got to come back, and they went to Bethlehem. They were going to go there, but then Herod's son that was even worse was there, so they ended up in Nazareth, which we know for, uh, and and just one of the great blessings of that. So Jesus was a Nazarene, thanks be to God. Some of you are laughing because you know our denomination is the Church of the Nazarene, right? You know, so hey, Jesus was one of us, you know? Okay, maybe a little sacrilegious there. (laughs) Back up with all that. And then, um, God's got you even in Egypt. God's got you. It may not work out the way you want. It may not be what he, you know, the things that you want, but but God's got you. God's God's got you. And then if our our musicians would come, um, God always wins. It almost always takes longer than you think. And it may not be that the wind doesn't come until you are in heaven. But the only thing that has made these months of losing people I love to death is the realization that one day I'm going to see them again. I, I don't believe, I believe the death of the physical body is not the end. It's the beginning in so many ways. God always wins, whether it's in this life, and very often it's in this life, especially for those of us that live in America. Honestly, we have it pretty good. <laughs> Honestly, we have it pretty good. Yes. Uh, But even if it isn't in this life, God always wins in the end because death has been defeated. There's my little hint for Easter. You want to be here for Easter. That's the end of the story. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, Lord, what a powerful story. It disrupts our way of thinking in so many ways, Father, to think that you would use people that were involved in all kinds of things that make us uncomfortable, that we think of as sin. To think that you would send them to a place like Egypt that was so hard for them. But Father, we are thankful that when we are in exile, you are with us. We are thankful that you set the example through Christ. Father, give us compassionate hearts for those who are far from God. And make us, Lord, 
a church that welcomes with open arms people that are different from us, people that, that we may think aren't on the right track, Father, that we would just be a place where they're welcomed in love, that we would welcome shepherds, that we would welcome magi, Father, that we would welcome Egyptians, that we would, we would just let you sort it out, Father, because we trust the Holy Spirit. May you be glorified now in these good people, Lord. May you be uh, formed in us. Make us more like you for what we have done this day. And we love you and we thank you, Father, in all things. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. Hey, church family. Thank you so much for watching this video. We hope that God is inspiring you and working in your life. If so, make sure you send this video to a friend so that they can be impacted by the good news of the gospel as well. Make sure you like and subscribe to the channel so that you don't miss a single video. And as always, we hope that God is continuing to work and move in your life. Thanks again for watching. God bless.